Hello everyone, my name is Marcin Soha. I am a research fellow at the Center of Asian Affairs at the University of Łódź, which is a university-based think tank monitoring the situation in Asia-Pacific. I'm also an associate professor at the Faculty of International and Political Studies. Today I would like to invite you to listen to my first podcast, which I hope will be an introduction to a discussion we will have on the recent developments in Japanese foreign policy. In those podcasts, I would like to concentrate on the infrastructure and energy investment programs developed in response to the growing position of China in global politics, as well as the energy security situation created in the aftermath of the Fukushima nuclear disaster and how the Japanese government is trying to cope with that. But today I would like to start with the difficult process of building ties between Tokyo and Beijing. I want to point out some interesting complexities in the decision-making process in Japan's policy towards China. If we look back at the year 2012, we can see what can be described as one of the worst diplomatic crises in Japan-China relations since they were established in 1972. The main reason for that was, of course, the growing dispute over the Senkaku Islands, also claimed by China, which was probably started by the boat collision incident in 2010 and turned into an open diplomatic conflict after the Tokyo governor presented his plan to nationalize the islands. The atmosphere was further heated up when Prime Minister Abe Shinzo decided to visit the controversial Yasukuni Shrine in 2012, starting a series of anti-Japanese demonstrations in China where protesters were burning Japanese cars and throwing stones at the offices of Japanese companies. After this diplomatic downfall, the bilateral relations have been slowly but steadily improving. From 2014, we could observe a series of informal meetings between Japanese and Chinese diplomats, followed by local-level negotiations. Later on, we can see a growing number of talks between senior officials and cabinet members, including Chinese Prime Minister Li Keqiang and ministers of foreign affairs. The clearest signal of improved relations was the visit of Prime Minister Abe to Beijing in October 2018. on the occasion of the 40th anniversary of the Treaty of Peace and Friendship between Japan and China. Right now, the two governments are working together to organize the first official visit of Xi Jinping to Japan planned for spring 2020. One of the interesting questions on the recent improvement in bilateral relations are the reasons behind it. One factor which received a lot of media coverage is, of course, the presidency of Donald Trump, started in 2017, who heralded serious changes in the U.S. policy in the Asia-Pacific. New administration not only questioned the existing trade imbalance with Asian and European partners, but also tried to renegotiate the security deals with its regional allies, including Japan, Taiwan and South Korea. After Donald Trump announced that the United States will reduce its presence in East Asia, some of the commentators claimed that establishing closer ties between Tokyo and Beijing can be perceived as a response to the unpredictable policy of the new U.S. administration. I do not believe that the Japanese government and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs ever considered improving ties with China as an alternative to the more problematic relations with President Trump. Close alliance with Washington still is, and in my opinion will remain, the cornerstone of Japanese diplomatic strategy, and relations with China will not be able to erode it. The other important aspect is a personal factor, by which I mean the attitude of Prime Minister Abe Shinzo himself, his closest advisors, and ruling party politicians. Prime Minister Abe came from the right wing of the Liberal Democratic Party and strongly supported the idea of Prime Minister's visits to the Yasukuni Shrine. 
he also advocated a hard stance in Japan's policy towards Beijing. Despite those inclinations, when Abe became prime minister in 2006, he quickly acknowledged the need to develop closer relations with Beijing to promote the economic exchange. We should also take into account that the strongest motivation for developing a conciliatory stance towards China did not come from the prime minister's office, but from the bureaucrats in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. One of the main architects of this pragmatic approach was probably Yachi Shotaro, who was leading diplomatic advisor to Prime Minister Abe and who orchestrated the diplomatic missions which opened talks with China both in 2006 and 2014. China is Japan's largest trade partner and Japan is China's second largest. Therefore, there is a constant pressure from local governments and business circles to improve relations for the sake of protecting trade and investment. Prime Minister Abe and a majority of Ministry of Foreign Affairs bureaucrats understand the economic importance of relations with Beijing. That's why when we look at Prime Minister Abe's approach to China, we can expect reasonable behavior. Does this mean that from this moment forward we can expect a steady and smooth improvement in China-Japan relations? Not necessarily. One has to constantly keep in mind several unresolved diplomatic issues as well as international and domestic political pressures which may slow down or even halt the process of building closer ties. I will try to explain this using an example of recent protests in Hong Kong which can be treated as an external challenge to Japan's foreign policy towards China. While the Japanese government is preparing for Xi Jinping's visit planned next spring, we can see a rising tide of international criticism of China. The biggest problem for Abe's cabinet is of course the stance of its closest ally, the United States. Recently, President Donald Trump signed two bills supporting Hong Kong protesters. The new law includes measures of policy coordination with closest allies, uh, Japan and South Korea, to promote democracy and human rights. We can expect that the US government will pressure Japan to present a united front against China. This is a very problematic issue for Abe administration because for many years now, Japanese diplomats and prime minister himself has been advocating the so-called values-oriented diplomacy, which is, ba- which is based on creating alliances, alliances with pro-democratic countries. This is a very problematic issue for Abe administration because for many years now, Japanese diplomats and Prime Minister himself has been advocating the so-called values-oriented diplomacy, which is based on creating alliances with pro-democratic countries. In the last weeks, we could see that Japanese officials were avoiding the topic of Hong Kong and refrained from commenting on it in fear of antagonizing China. In the end, both the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Prime Minister Abe voiced their concern with the situation but carefully avoided criticizing the Chinese government. Another issue is that international criticism of Beijing activated the anti-Chinese group of politicians within the ruling Liberal Democratic Party. Several right-wing representatives voiced their opposition to the current policy of building ties with China and advised the government to withdraw the invitation to Xi Jinping. An an interesting thing is that Japan experienced a very similar situation when it tried to repair its relations with Russian Federation and launched talks on the territorial issue. Russian annexation of Crimea in 2014 forced the Japanese government to impose sanctions on Moscow, which threatened the negotiation process. Those situations give you the idea that the process of introducing a new direction in Japan's foreign policy, like improving ties with China, is extremely difficult and is often influenced by an external conflict of interest or external pressures. 
the next topic which I would like to discuss is whether or not the recent improvement in bilateral relations uh, changes Japan's perception of China as a major security and economic threat in the region. If we look at Japan's responses both regionally and globally, one can observe that not much has changed. Despite the positive trajectory of relations with Beijing in the last Defense White Paper published by the Ministry of Defense, China is mentioned as the number one security threat, even above North Korea. Since Prime Minister Abe Shinzo came back to power in 2012, Japan's defense spending is on the rise. The biggest arms deals include acquiring the Aegis missile defense system and expanding the fleet of F-35 stealth fighters, both of which can be perceived as a tool against China. Abe administration introduced important changes in Japan's security policy, including the creation of the National Security Council and new security gui guidelines which theoretically give Japanese self-defense forces the capability to engage in military operations overseas. Another interesting part of Japan's strategy of containing China is the policy of monitoring China's global movements and an attempt to cope with China's economic and military presence in strategic regions. One manifestation of such a policy are shadow movements of Japanese diplomats who seem to follow the Chinese ones around the globe. Whenever a Beijing organizes a major regional summit, one can expect a similar event or a high-level diplomatic visit from a Japanese side. Such a policy is especially visible in the regions like South Balkans and Central and Eastern Europe. The previous Minister of Foreign Affairs and current Minister of Defense, Konotaro, expressed the growing need for keeping up with Chinese diplomatic missions. He requested to purchase a small plane for the use of Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which was supposed to help the Japanese side to be able to respond to the growing number of diplomatic visits made by Chinese officials. His request was unfortunately turned down because of the financial reasons. Apart from shadowing China's diplomatic movements, the Japanese government has introduced a series of comprehensive strategies aimed at responding to Chinese global initiatives with a particular focus on the Belt and Road Initiative. Japan has been adamant in criticizing the weak points of the BRI framework. Uh, since 2015, the Japanese government introduced the Quality Infrastructure Investment Initiative, which was presented as an alternative to the Chinese Belt and Road. Uh, contrary to the Chinese program, Japanese infrastructure loans are supposed to support high-quality and sustainable projects, which would not lead the receiving countries to, a f to falling into a debt trap. An idea of creating a comprehensive initiative aimed at containing China is not new in Japan's foreign policy. One could mention other similar projects like Asotaro's Arc of Freedom and Prosperity, which was short-lived and did not attract much international coverage. The most important question today is whether the Japanese strategy of containing China has a greater chance of success than it had before. In my opinion, the changing international surroundings, which can be characterized by growing opposition to Beijing coming from the United States, European Union and several Asian states, gives this strategy a better chance of success. I will expand on that issue in my future podcasts. Uh, thank you for listening today and I hope you enjoyed our recordings. I wish you all Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Goodbye.